You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering of Southcrest Baptist Church. To learn more about The Venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Good time of worship, y'all. Yeah. I remember April 16th, 2011. Um, we were at the place in Florida, the Rebeau Club, the place I'd first seen uh, who was that day going to become my wife, Lauren. I'd seen her under a tree there um, for the first time she was in another wedding. And on that day, April 16th, 2011, I got to walk uh, or actually, I think I kind of slipped because those tuxedo shoes that you wear are always the worst. You know what I'm talking about, guys? There's like no grip on those things. But I slipped down the stairs, walked outside under the tree where I'd first seen Lauren and just had my back to where she was coming from and waited patiently but anxiously until the photographer would say, all right, you're good. And I could turn around and see her for the first time. Y'all remember that moment if you're married? Middle schoolers are like, bro, you're supposed to be talking to us. What are you talking about? <laughs> remember the photographer finally said, all right, you're good. And turning around and seeing her, and you don't, like, anything you say just sounds really foolish, right? <laughs> or like inadequate, like, even if you're like, wow, you look gorgeous. It's like, it, it's, it's not, there's not enough words. So you just kind of, you stand there and just go, wow right? And I remember she walked close, photographer took a few pictures, and then we got to go out the, where we got married is close to the intercoastal waterway in, near the Atlantic Ocean in Florida. And so we, uh, we walked out in this, I don't know what else to call it, but kind of a field that's uh, near the intercoastal waterway. And we're standing there holding hands, taking pictures, kind of talking some, again, words seem inadequate. And it was one of those few times in life where even though there's a photographer taking all these pictures and like, you know how it is on your wedding day, like your cheeks start to like freeze because you smiled so much. Um, even though she's taking all these pictures, it felt like it was just the two of us just standing out there, talking, looking into each other's eyes. I can't help but think that that's maybe just a small little glimpse of what the garden felt like. When Adam and Eve were, were there with God in just this per, literally perfect relationship. Man, the, the weather was literally perfect. The atmosphere, so to speak, was perfect. Their relationship was perfect. Man, what, a, what an amazing thing. It's one thing to have that experience with your fiance, soon to be wife, but man, to have that experience with the creator of the universe, of this incredible, intimate relationship. Now, we know the problem is we have a hard time grasping or even feeling, envisioning that image of the garden because just a few chapters later, like we didn't make it very long without sinning. Genesis chapter three, we messed it up, didn't we? Genesis three. Broke the relationship. <laughs> I think, not think, I know. That's why when we come together and we focus on Jesus, we get a little bit excited, or at least we should get a little bit excited because Jesus is the one who restored that broken relationship. Amen. 
that even on this earth, though it, our relationship with God is not perfect yet, even on this earth, we get to begin to see glimpses of that intimate relationship with God as believers. Because again, Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, offers forgiveness, redemption, a relationship with God himself. If we turn to him for salvation. Again, it's why we make so much of Jesus. Why we love singing about him. First Peter, I think it's chapter, uh, chapter one, says that angels, angels long to look into the salvation that we experience. So they're, they're not up in heaven like, man, I bet those humans wish they could experience what we experience. No, angels, first Peter says, look down on the believers, on children of God and go, oh man, what would it be like to taste that kind of redemption? Now, I bet it's like honey on your lips. I bet it's like holy water on your skin. Man, I bet it's good. I bet it's amazing. They long to experience the forgiveness and redemption that we do. Now, even though the, the Old Testament is very, very clear in letting us know that as uh, humans were sinful, were broken, it also, the Old Testament, begins to give us some really good glimpses of, of what our relationship with God will ultimately look like in heaven, but also what it look, can look like and should look like here on earth. Because Jesus, because God wants an intimate relationship with you if you're his child, if you've been saved by grace through faith. And one of the places that becomes most obvious in the Old Testament is the book of Psalms. If you ever wondered like, man, is this Christianity thing really about religion or is it relationship? The book of Psalms makes it abundantly clear that what God wants with you is, is not just this ritualistic religion, but he wants a relationship. He does. Turn, if you, speaking of Psalms, turn to Psalm 139, as in 139. Psalm 130, oh, passed it. Psalm 139. And if you're like, where's Psalms? Uh, the trick I've always used is, it's kind of in the middle of the Bible. Take a kind of open book. Open to the middle, and you'll probably get pretty close. But turn to Psalm 139. And if, if you're, again, if you're sitting there, you're like, I just, does God really want to know me? Does he really want to have an intimate relationship with me? I think the proof is right here. Psalm 139, verse 1. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. This is a psalm of King David. He says, God, you, you know me. You know everything about me, my, my, where I go, when I lay down, when I rise up. And think, think about it. Like, I feel like I know my wife really well. But I hate to break it to you, I am not aware, and this comes as a shock, I'm not aware throughout the day of every time she sits down and gets up. Like, it's not like I'm like, hold on, team, I think my wife just sat down at work. <laughs> no, I'm not aware of that. She like, up, down, up, down. I don't know, I don't know what she's doing. <laughs> God is literally aware of every time you even sit down. And you're like, what? Can we say stupid? I just did, sorry. Um, that's a stupid thing for God to, to be aware of. The point is, he's aware of even the minute, insignificant details of your life. Not just that he's aware of them, but he cares about them. I, he says, I know when you sit down and when you rise up. 
Verse 4. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you hold it all. Excuse me. Where'd I go? There we go. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. So before you even say a word, God knows what you're going to say because God can finish your sentences. Yeah. He knows you that well. Like, Lauren and I have been married, I told you, 2011, so this year will be nine years in April. And we're kind of starting to get there, right? Some of y'all are like, you're just a young punk. You don't know anything yet. You got a ways to go. That's fair. Um, but even at nine years, I'm starting to be able to finish her senses and know what she's going to say. And God says, man, I've got that. I can finish your sentences. I know you so intimately. I know exactly what you're going to say. Verse five, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. It's this idea that God is so near that he hems you and he puts this hedge of protection, if you will. Uh, he surrounds you, protects you, behind you, and before you, and beside you. And he lays his hand upon you. On uh, this, this Tuesday night, uh, so our kids are, are two now and they've begun the process of climbing out of their crib, which is awesome and not awesome. <laughs> Because at 2.30 a.m. this past Tuesday night, uh, we hear a little knock on our door. <laughs> and uh, Caroline Tate is out there. I want my dada. <laughs> and so uh, pick her up and try to put her back in her crib. That didn't really work. So um, we brought her back to our, we didn't want her to wake up her brother Haddon. And so bring her back to our bed. And it's Lauren Tater is what we call her. And then me. Um, and we just think we're just going to go back to sleep. Well, to make this fair, she's in a little bit of a, and this changes week to week. She's kind of in a dad phase, like she wants, she wants her dad. So we're laying there. We've got her hemmed in on each side, right? She's not going anywhere. She's safe and snuggled up warm. And about every 10 minutes, as I'm kind of dozing to sleep, about every 10 minutes, I feel this little hand pat my face <laughs> and say, I want my dad <laughs> Which... It sounds really cute, but at 2.45, it's not real cute. You're like, I'm right here. What do you want? Like, I want my dad die. And I'm like, literally, we're, we're like really right here. And I finally realized, by God's grace, I guess, that if I would just put my hand on her leg or she shortened up her foot, like, whatever it was, she was good. Of course, I would fall asleep and move, and then she would, I want my dad die. But she, she wanted me to, to put my hand on her. See, it wasn't just that she wanted to be near her father. She wanted to know that I, I was near her. It wasn't just that she wanted to have me. She wanted to know, to literally feel that I have her. Not just that, like, yeah, you can be in my presence, but like, no, I, I got you, girl. Like, I, I'm here. I, I got my hand on you. That's, that's what God does with you. He says, I hem you in behind and before. And, and uh, David speaking to God, he says, you lay your hand upon me. It's this, this comforting, reassuring hand that says, hey, I have you. I got you. Not like, bless you. Not like you're in trouble and like he's pinching your shoulder. Ow, let go. Like, no, you lay your hand on me. I got you. Verse six, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. So David says, when I think about that you know me inside and out and you actually still love me and care for me and you, you lay your reassuring, fatherly, calming hand upon me, he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I can't 
take it in. It's like standing at the, the foot of the Rockies and going, I, I just can't quite take it all in. Or standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon and going, which I've never done. We go to the Grander Canyon in Paladero, right? Texas. All right. But you, you stand at the, the edge of the Grander Canyon in Paladero and go, man, this is a lot to take in. I, I can't take it in. Or you stand at the, the shore of the Pacific in California, Angel, and you're standing there and I, I, I can't quite take it all in. It's too much. It's too beautiful. It's too wonderful. And that's what the psalmist is saying. When I try to take in that God knows me inside and out, and yet he still cares for me and loves me. I can't take it in. My heart's too small to, to take it all in. My mind's too little to take it all in. It's amazing. Verse seven. He continues, he says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? I, I don't think this is the idea like he wants to run away. He's saying, where could I go that I could get away from your presence? It makes me think of, um, makes me think of playing, I'll use this, uh, hide and seek with little children. And you go count and they go hide and you turn around. And they're like standing behind something like this, right? And you're like, I wonder where they went. I don't see them. And you're like, they're right there. <laughs> that's, that's what, if you tried to hide from God, that's what it would be like. Like, you, you can't hide from him. You, you can't get away from him. You can't go somewhere that he's not going to be there with you and go, hey, I, I see you. You can't get out of his sight. Hey, I, I see you. He kind of unpacks that idea in verse eight. He says, if I ascend to heaven, so if I get in a, a, a rocket ship and go all the way up to Mars, I get all the way up there and you know what? Guess who's there? God. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. Sheol was underneath the earth and in the Hebrew mind, it was a place of, uh, in some context of scripture, a place of the dead, but at the very least, a place of the forgotten. So even in several of the Psalms, the psalmist has this concern of, God, don't send me, to, I don't want to go to Sheol. In other words, I don't want to be forgotten. If I make my bed in Sheol, in the depths of the earth, far away from humanity, in the darkness and in the quiet and in, in a forgotten place, he says, you're even there. How many times, I love that he says, if I make my bed, which maybe we don't all make our bed, about one time a week maybe, but... How many times in the morning, maybe as you're making your bed or getting ready, do you feel like you're in Sheol? Your mind feels clouded. You feel forgotten, feel hopeless. God's even there. So if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand hand shall hold me. So if I went up to this farthest remote island in the Pacific where I thought no one else was there, I would show up on my little kayak and guess who would be there? God would be there too. And I found out he had been with me the whole time and not just with me, to lead me and to hold me. You can't get away from God. There's no height, no depth, no width that could keep you from the love of your father that you have in Jesus Christ. And if I were to say, surely the darkness shall cover me. So if I'm like, oh, I found this 
here's a dark spot. I found this dark spot. Maybe, maybe here, man, this is such a dark spot, such a low spot. Maybe here, maybe God actually can't see me. And he says, no, no. <laughs> Surely the darkness shall cover me and the light be uh, about me be night. Here's the reality. Even the darkness is not dark to you, to God. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. See, there's no place that God goes that his light, his hope can't expel the darkness. So if God is with you, if you're a child of God, there's no darkness, there's no hole in life, there's no pit in life that God's hopeful and hope-filled light can't reach down in there to be with you and to give you hope. There's no place I can get where the light of God, the hope of God can't shine on me. And God, you know me and you're with me. No matter where I go, no matter what place I could dream up to go to, you would always be there with me. He's not, he's not done talking about God's care for him. He says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Hey, listen, really everybody, but middle schoolers, no matter what you have heard or felt or what you may have even been told, you are not an accident. And I'm not just talking like evolution creation. I'm talking like if your parents were like, well, I weren't really planning on you to be here, like you some of your parents are laughing because you may have said that. It's okay. We still love you. <laughs> Life happens. You are not an accident. No one in this room is an accident. God meticulously made you. He carefully crafted you. And here's what's cool about this passage. It says, your eyes saw my unformed substance. Even before your mom knew she was pregnant with you, God saw you and was looking after you. How cool is that? Cared for you. Then the verse 16 says, in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. So imagine this is not the Bible for a second, but God's got your story written out. When you think about that, it shouldn't cause you hate. Like, gosh, I hate the story God's written. It should cause you hope that God knows your story, is aware of your story, has planned your story, and has a purpose for your story. Amen? That he, he knows you. He's well acquainted with your story. You're not alone in this forgotten back shelf of the library. No, he holds your story in his hands and cares about you. He's well acquainted with your ways. So God, you, you know me, you love me, you care for me, even though, even though you know me, you're always with me wherever I go. And God, you, you were involved in the intricate, intricate making of my life. Fearfully and wonderfully made. I couldn't bring it this morning, but I have at home a, uh, I've showed it once before back in the fall, but I have an elephant carved out of some, 
awesome stone that I bought when I was in India a couple years ago. And it's, it's beautiful, man. It's, it's, some of y'all have seen it up close. It's incredible. It's actually really heavy for the size of elephant it is. That sounds funny. But, uh, for, yeah, it's very small. Okay, anyway, you get what I'm saying. But I noticed uh, a few months ago that one of the tusks on the elephant is broken off. It made me super sad because it's like, man, it's so cool. But now it's broken. Just because that little part of the tusk is broken off and messed up doesn't mean that the creator of that elephant did a bad job. So, still a beautiful elephant. It doesn't mean that there wasn't ever a purpose for that elephant. Just because you're broken and you are, sorry to be the bearer of bad news, just because you're messed up and we are, doesn't mean that you're not fearfully and wonderfully made. Doesn't mean that God doesn't have a hope and a purpose and a plan for you. When David looks at all, King David, when he looks at all that, when he thinks about all those things, I love verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I am awake and I am still with you. I love this. So, ooh, a bowl of sand. It's a little wet, so this would be fun. He said, God, your thoughts about me, your care for me, is more numerous than the sand. And then he says this kind of, it seems random. I'm awake and I'm still with you. So what I'm gonna do just to demonstrate this, um, I hope y'all brought some water and stuff. I'm gonna stay up here until I count all of this sand, all right? Yeah. Like, you know, what's crazy is seriously, like I, even just this, if I were to lay this out on, on this table, like we could be here a while. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, four. I, I'm not even close. And that was just off my finger. He says, I am awake, I'm still with you. He says, God, your thoughts about me, your intimate care for me, there's so many of them, there's so many amazing thoughts that just trying to count them, I actually I could I could fall asleep. <laughs> Cause there's so many, I can't count them all. And then I, I, I wake up and there's still, there's still so many to count. You're still with me. You're still really good. I haven't even scratched the surface because your thoughts, your loving care for me is so abundant. It's so vast. So he says, it's precious to me. Your thoughts, oh God, about me are precious to me. The fact that you know me, that you care for me, that you made me, that you're with me. Man, it's, it's my precious. precious. It's valuable. I love what Charles Spurgeon where'd he go, said about this verse. Speaking of David, he says, he is not alarmed at the fact that God knows all about him. On the contrary, he is comforted and even feels himself to be enriched as with a basket of precious jewels. That God should think about him as the believer's treasure and pleasure. When we remember that God thought upon us from old eternity, continues to think about us every moment, and will think of us when time shall be no more, we may well exclaim, how great is the, th the sum and the thumb. Thoughts such as are natural to the creator, their preserver, 
the Redeemer, the Father, the Friend are evermore flowing from the heart of the Lord. Thoughts of our pardon, renewal, upholding, supplying, educating, perfecting. It should fill us with adoring wonder and reverent surprise that the infinite mind of God should turn so many thoughts toward us who are so insignificant and so unworthy. David says, and we should say, whoa, it's precious to me that you think about me, God, that you even notice me, that you know me, that you care for me. Now, maybe y'all can help me with something. Because I feel like Psalm 139 is going pretty good. I mean, maybe not my best sermon ever, but so far it's a pretty good passage. Doing good, having fun. So maybe y'all can help me. Could y'all read on your own, not out loud, but would y'all just read verses 19 through 22 for me real quick to yourself? What in the world is that about? God, you know me. How precious are your thoughts that you would slay the wicked. (laughs) Where is that coming from? Like, la, la, la. Turn crazy all of a sudden, it seems like. Oh, you would slay the wicked. I'm hoping y'all can help me here. Oh God, oh men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Like psycho. (laughs) Or not. Here's a good like, a little helpful thing when you're reading scripture. Often, the thing that seems crazy and like, okay, what happened there? Is the key to understanding the passage. Too often I've read Psalm 139 literally and got to verse 19 and been like, all right, that was a good chapter. And I just skipped it. It was like, I have no idea what to do with that. But often the, the, the puzzle piece that you're not sure where it fits or how it fits is often the key to making the puzzle work. So let's unpack this real quick. If you think about King David, or know, I don't think about, but know his story from uh, 1st, 2nd Samuel and Kings, he was often on the run. He often had enemies pursuing him and chasing him. And, and very often, those enemies were enemies of God as well, not just enemies of him. I wholeheartedly believe the only way to really make this, I don't know what it makes it, to understand this, I should say, and not just ignore verses 19 to 22, is to realize that this is giving us some context. That King David is writing this song, writing this prayer in the midst of his enemies or in the context of his enemies pursuing him, maybe even surrounding him, at least feeling close. So, he stops this, this prayer of, of adoring God and being in awe that God cares for him and says, God, would you take care of these fools that are chasing me? 
Will you take care of the wicked that are pursuing me? They speak against you with malicious intent. So they're speaking evil of God with intent of harming me, of, of causing me discouragement and pain. He says, I, I hate them because they hate you. Would you rise up against them? Now, I realize that in Lubbock, Texas, in 2020, you may not have a lot of like literal human people, enemies chasing you that you would say like, oh, men of blood depart from me. But if you are a child of God, you have the enemy who is always chasing you, always prowling around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. And the enemy does speak maliciously against God with intent to harm us, doesn't he? Can you trust God? Are you sure God still sees you? Is God good? Is he, is he with you? David says, God, would you destroy the enemy? Would you make him depart from me? See, I, I believe Psalm 139, all these beautiful truths about how God sees us, he knows us, he with, he's with us, he cares for us, he made us, he has a plan and purpose for our life. All of that is to be understood in the context and to be celebrated and to be realized in the context of I may be surrounded by my enemies, but I know God is still with me. I may be in the middle of a storm. The enemy may be speaking lies against me and trying to discourage me, trying to distract me, but I know that God knows me. He sees me. He's with me. He cares for me. He made for me. He has a plan and purpose for my life. Even in the storm, not just when I'm out in the field and everything's good and there's flowers and there's butterflies and fun things like that. I don't know what I'm talking like that. Sorry. Even in the storm, God is with me. He says, he start, or excuse me, he finishes the psalm the way he ended it. Search me, no, sorry, he finishes the psalm the way he began it. Verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Say, God, search me, know me. If there's any sin in my life, if there's anything grievous that would destroy or put a hindrance with my intimate relationship with you. God, please take that. I want you to know me, to lead me. I don't want anything to hinder my relationship with you. So if 19 to 22 is kind of the context, what's the takeaway? I think it's in verses 17 through 18. See, in this psalm, David's kind of inviting us to see what's going on in his heart and his mind. And he's saying, the place I find comfort, the place I find hope, the place I find life, he says the answer in verse 17 and 18. It's in God's thoughts. How precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. 
See, what he's been doing through this whole psalm is remembering God's intimate involvement and care for his life. He's been remembering what God says about him. And so even in the midst of the storm, he, he can cling to what God says about him and what God's plans are for him and, what, and how God is with him, God's intimate care for him. And he says, even though the enemy surrounds me, this is precious to me. Y'all tracking with me? I'm making sense? Okay. This is precious to me. This is comforting to me. This gives me hope. How precious are your thoughts towards me, oh God? Even in the storm. This, uh, this box used to be, I've always had it in my office, I say always, for about eight years now. Um, and I used to, when I was a middle school pastor, I used to keep my Nerf guns in here, so that was cool. <laughs> Um, and then I turned it into uh, a box that I, and I think I started, started keeping these maybe for my very first church. It's like, it's 20, so 14 years ago, I'm getting old. But I started keeping letters or cards that people uh, would write to me, ministry related. It's not like a birthday card, but uh, related to maybe how God had use me to speak to them, or maybe I helped plan an event like a D-Now or something, and God had used it in their life. And what's cool about this box, again, I have it kind of hidden, not hidden, but in a, in a drawer in my office, and uh, every now and then, whether it's my own just foolish flesh or just the enemy, uh, Satan and his punk demons are trying to discourage me or distract me or get me down, I've occasionally gone back to this box. I actually love, I didn't intend to, I realized this this week. I love that it's an old ammo box. Because when Satan's trying to throw some darts at me, I'm like, I'm gonna get my ammo box full. <laughs> I don't literally say that, I might sometime. But. I, I, I didn't, I promise this is not like stage. I'm just gonna, hopefully this doesn't turn out really poorly. Let's see here. <laughs> this one, this, uh, not sure. Oh, that one says happy birthday. I said it wasn't happy birthday. That's cheating. We won't put that one there. <laughs> what, is, what is this one? Okay. There's someone saying, uh, I won't read it all in detail, but just they appreciated my sermon um, and transparency as I spoke. That's cool. Let's go from the top so it's easier. This one... Uh, pretty short. It says, we're behind you 100%. That one's from Matt Powell. I used to be the DA. We might not read that one out loud. <laughs> Thanks for all you do. We love you and appreciate you, both you and Lauren. We could, there's this, it's pretty full. I'm reading one more just because. Brandon, I could never thank God, sorry. <clears throat> My buddy who's struggling with some stuff right now, he says, I could never, man, that gummit. <laughs> can, uh, I don't do this, sorry. <laughs> can never thank you enough for your friendship. You made me a better person and a better husband for Becca. Thanks for being here. You're the best. <laughs> I don't cry very often, what's up with that? <laughs> Here's what's cool. 
When the enemy, enemy gets me down, I've got an ammo box I can go to and tell him to shut his trap. <laughs> These are cool because they, re, they remind me um, maybe how God views me. They remind me of the truth. They remind me that I've got a, there's a purpose for my life. Now, I know, I know you could be sitting there and you're going, well, you're lucky because you're a pastor. So people write you cards, how God's using you in your life. Like, that's, that's cheating. <laughs> Maybe you're like, no, literally, Brandon, I, I, don't, I don't have an ammo box. I don't know. Got another ammo box. And you, you may not have a box, but you, you have what's in it. Everybody has an ammo box. It's called the word of God. And when the enemy seeks to destroy me and he speaks maliciously with intent to harm me and speaks that God doesn't know me, he doesn't love me, he doesn't care for me, go get your ammo box and tell him to shut his mouth. Amen? You have the word of God to remind you that you are known, that you are loved, that he is with you. You couldn't go to the bottom of the sea and get away from God. He still sees you. He doesn't just see you. He leads you. He cares for you. He knows you. How do you shut the mouth of the enemy? How do you get away from the whispers? You go to the word. You fight the whispers with the word. Get your ammo box day after day when he seeks to lie to you, when even the world, people of the world are seeking to tell you something that you're not or say you're something that you're not, turn to what God has said you are, who he has said you are. You fight the whispers with the word. We're going to enter a time of response. There's a couple things you could do. Maybe we're going to sing a song about the fact that God's always pursuing you and always sees you. Which is, so maybe you're, that's what I'm probably going to do, how I'm going to respond is just really try to sing my, my guts out. Probably won't sound very good, so don't stand very close. But. Or maybe there's going to be some people on the sides. I keep saying this, we're trying to create a culture here. There's going to be some people uh, near the front and all along the sides um, that are there just to pray with you. So it's not like, again, I keep saying it, but we're going to get it. It's not like you have to, you only go to them if your life was wrecked. Maybe it's just, hey, I could use some prayer. I feel like God doesn't see me. I feel like he doesn't know me. Could you pray for me? They would love to talk with you, love to pray with you. Maybe you need to sit down and on your journal or on your phone and just kind of remember the ways that God has been intimately involved in your life. Like, bro, I can't see it. Ask him to show you how he's been involved in your life. And here's the reality. If you don't know Jesus, then you, you're not really gonna be able to understand the ammo box. If you don't know Jesus, you don't have that intimate, restored relationship. So I want to invite you, even today, this morning, March 1st, I think, 2020, to trust Jesus for salvation, to realize that you are broken, you are flawed, you are messed up, but still he has a wonderful plan for you. That he wants you to be able to see you, how he sees you, the potential he has in you because of him. All it requires is to 
turn from your sin, to turn from yourself and turn to Jesus for salvation, to place your faith, your hope, your trust in the fact that he lived a perfect life, he died the death that you deserved, and then he rose again to offer you new life. And because of that, you can be known. And not just known, but loved and cared for and led and held all of your days. I'm gonna pray and after I pray, I want us to stand and respond, however God leads you. We'll also have, by the way, Tony and some of our pastors will be down front if you would prefer to talk to a pastor as well. All right, let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for knowing us and still loving us. Thank you that we can't get away from your presence. Even when we can't feel it, you're still working, you're still there. God, thank you for your word that makes it so easy for us to begin to try that we couldn't, to begin to try to count all the ways that you've loved us and provided for us and taken care for us and held us even when we didn't know you were with us. So God, I pray that as we sing this song, this would be a celebration of who you are and what you've done and the fact that you do think on us. And God, I pray that your thoughts towards us would be precious to us, that we would hold them dearly. And God, if maybe someone doesn't need to sing, maybe they need to go and ask someone to pray for them. Give them boldness. Or if they need to jot down some notes on their phone or in their journal of just remembering that you are with them and maybe you're speaking to them, they wanna write that down. God, give them boldness to, to sit and do that. God, we love you and trust that your spirit will guide us right now. As you continue to drive out the whispers of the enemy with your word, your Holy Spirit. It's in your name we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you are encouraged by today's talk, be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcast. The goal of the venue is to help you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus by being relational, helpful, hopeful, and real. Thanks again for listening to the Venue Podcast.